So we are walking through the book of 2 Peter, and Peter is finishing up chapter 2, and he is dealing with the reality of, in our world today, there are false teaching, false teachers that are out there, and he's going to give his strongest language so far in regard to who they are, what to be aware of, and what to look at. And so in 2 Peter chapter 2, uh, we will be there this morning, and I want to, by way of introduction, just want to point out a few things. Last week we talked about um, the way of Balaam. Balaam was an Old Testament prophet that as Moses and the people were coming into the promised land, they had come through an area and wiped out a people. This king Balak had heard about what had happened, and so he went to Balaam and said, You're a prophet of God. I will give you some money, and will you put a curse on God's people? So Balaam goes to God and says, Hey, can I do this? And God says, No, you're not going to do that. These are my people. They are blessed. But Balaam kept the money. Those people go away, they come back, and the indication is they come back with more money. And so Balaam becomes this man of God, this person of God, this speaker of God who can be bought. And so he becomes this prophet at a price, and he continues to seek God, even though God has told him, I'm not going to do anything to the people. But eventually in time, because God won't allow him to put a curse and speak a curse upon God's people, Balaam goes to King Balak, and, and it's recorded, and he gives him some advice. And in Numbers chapter 31, 15, and 16, this is what it says. And so Moses, there's this big incident in Numbers chapter 25 where the men had gone into the city. They began to eat with the women of the city. They began to sacrifice to their gods, and then they began to do some pretty heinous things. And this plague broke out. And so Moses is talking to the people, and he says in Numbers 31, 15, So Moses said to them, Have you let all the women live? And verse 16 says, Behold, these, on Balaam's advice, so the man of God's advice, caused the people of Israel to act treacherously against the Lord in the incident of Peor. So the plague came among the congregation of the Lord. Balaam is mentioned in the Old Testament. He is also mentioned in the New Testament. And every time his name is mentioned, it is connected to greed and immorality. And unfortunately today, this has become, under the banner of Christianity, there have been things taught from pulpits, there have been things written in books, there have been things typed in blog posts um, that are not of the Scripture and are incredibly dangerous by a number of different people who have gone the way of Balaam. And if you're not careful, as I've talked in these weeks, you have to have a discerning ear because some of this stuff sounds Christian. They use some of the same terminology, some of the same verses that we use, but it has nothing to do with Orthodox Christianity. And Peter, whose pastoral heart for these people, is warning them to say, there is danger coming. You guys are about to go. You think your school system and things that you've heard in our culture in regard to liberalism and attacks on Christianity, it is going to dramatically increase as you sit in a college campus. And it's going to become stronger at you, and the pool is going to be there. And I want to, this false teaching and this attack on Christianity is going to come in a greater way than you've ever heard before. And so um, I have a message for you today. It's about false teaching and to cling to the truth of God's Word because it's what you need more than anything else. So in our culture today, there are two things that I think are true about the church. There's the confessing church, the professing church that holds to Orthodox Christianity. It holds to a biblical truth and doesn't want to sway from the ancient path because the ancient path is actually new because it has come from the heart of God. 
all of this new stuff that's out there today that is contrary to the Scripture. Let me tell you what you will find on all these new ideas about church. In about five years from now, we can go, if there is a second half-price half, half price bookstore, or whatever it's called, if there's still one of those around, you will be able to go there, and you can go to the Christian section, and all of these new, incredible, great things that the church ought to be doing, you will find all of those books there because they will no longer be relevant. Because what happens in the church is, is we have gotten so caught up in the West for new things that we have forgotten that the most relevant thing that we need is this. There's nothing else that we need that this. And so all this new stuff is just going to go by the way, and you can find it today. You could go to Half Price Bookstore today, and you could go to the Christian section, and five years ago you will find books that everybody was saying, do this, do this, do this, do this. And I'm here today to remind us that this is what we do. That God's spoken from his heart, he's eternal in nature, and he can take care of his word. And so there's a confessing, professing church, and then there's a church, and again, particularly this is a Western thing, Western Europe and um, in the U.S. and Canada and as well, uh, you will see this. There is, a, there is a drift that has happened where... Um, a drift from Scripture that has left the world in such a way that there is a void in many churches today and in many denominations of historic Christianity. A few weeks ago, we were in Europe on our vacation, and uh, we were at the top of Paris. There's a church there called the Sacred Heart, and they were actually having church. And it's a beautiful thing, a uh, beautiful building, and it's, it's, it's amazing, the, the architecture and all this stuff. But they were actually having mass, and guess what you could do? You could walk in and roam inside the building while the pastor's up there speaking, while they are singing, there are tourists in the room. Now, 500 years ago, what was happening in Europe is the gospel was exploding in the Reformation, and you wouldn't find that there. Churches weren't tourist attractions. Churches were grounded in a deep love for the glory of God and the proclamation of the Scripture and who He is. But what you'll find today is that many of those places are tourist attractions. I think what you'll find here in America in the next 25 years is these big megachurch buildings will be bought by corporations and people will no longer be worshiping in them anymore. Because I think the trends, and I've lived in Europe, I've seen it, I've been back now for 10 years and I saw the drift when I was there, and I see where we are going, and that's why it's important for us in our church, our small church, that we stay, no matter what goes on out there, we stay committed to historical Christianity. We want to remain a part of the professing and confessing church. So let's look now, Second Peter chapter 2, we're going to do 17 through 22 this morning, and so if you would follow along with me as Peter finishes up these words. He's talking about false teachers. This is the third section of this. And he says, These, speaking of false teachers, describing their actions, are waterless springs and mists driven by a storm. For them the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved. For speaking loud boasts of folly, they entice by sensual passions of the flesh those who are barely escaping from those who live in error. And they promise them freedom, but they themselves are slaves of corruption. For whatever overcomes a person, to that he is enslaved. For if, after they have escaped the defilements of the world through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome, the last state has become worse for them than the first. 
For it would have been better for them to have never known the way of righteousness than after knowing it to turn back from the holy commandment delivered to them. What the true proverb has happened says has happened to them. The dog returns to its own vomit and the sow, after washing herself, returns to wallow in the mire. All right, let's walk through this. First of all, this morning, Peter talks about and he gives a description of the false fruit that comes from false teachers. Three aspects of it. He speaks about the depth of the emptiness that is connected with what they have to offer. He speaks about the destructiveness of their influence, and then he's going to speak about the doom that is coming to them. So let's talk about the first two, and the first one is this. There is a depth to their emptiness of what these false teachers teach. He describes them as waterless springs. It's interesting when you look at these two words, waterless and springs in the Greek. Waterless describes someone walking in the desert and they see something up ahead that looks like water that's up there, but it's actually just an oasis. It's just a mirage. It doesn't hold anything. You get there and there's nothing there of substance to drink. So it's waterless, though it gives the appearance of it. The word springs is interesting. It describes a fountain that flows. It never stops. It's a fountain that is shooting up water and shooting up water. And so Peter, in his description, is this. These false prophets and teachers, they proclaim a lot of stuff about God and Jesus and faith and the Holy Spirit and the church. And they appear to offer a satisfaction if you will come and drink. And it looks like it's a flowing fountain that you can continually come and drink. But it's actually, it's not even water. And it's flowing, and it's giving out something, but it can never fully satisfy. And what can a spring without water actually do? It can't do anything. And so Peter says, all of these great proclamations, all of this great teaching, all of these things from these false pastors and teachers cannot satisfy. Israel had this problem. Babylon was on the brink of coming and was going to overtake Judah. and, And God was going to allow the people to be scooped up by Nebuchadnezzar and his leadership, and they were going to be placed in Babylon. And Jeremiah was writing about the reality, and he wrote about what God said. And listen to what he said in in Jeremiah 2, 12, and 13. He said, Be appalled, O heavens, at this. Be shocked and be utterly desolate, declares the Lord. For my people have done two great evils. The first one is this. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters. And God is saying, I am the fountain. I satisfy you. If you will come to me, you will have what you need in your life. You can taste it. It will go in you. It will flow and it will move. It will be like a river. It will bring change and movement and direction and a hope and a future to your life. But Israel, Judah said this, we're not interested. And so what did they do? Jeremiah says that they have forsaken God, the fountain of living waters, and they decided to dig for themselves their own place that they could get water from, satisfy themselves. And he says this, they've dug their own cisterns, but it's just brokenness. And hear me, church, today. Boys and girls and students and adults hear this today. Broken men cannot dig with broken thoughts and broken efforts any kind of thing in this life that will only lead, and this is what it will do, it will only lead to more brokenness. And if you're here today thinking, boy, I can do it myself, I can do it myself, I'm going to fix myself, and I'm going to dig and I'm going to dig and I'm going to say this, you are rejecting God saying, just come to me. 
This here, what happened here, was an invitation to say, you come, I love you, I am doing the work for you. You don't have to dig. I have allowed this cross to be placed into the ground. It's been there, it's been dug, it's there. I'm hanging there and I'm inviting you to me and I'm the fountain of living waters and don't reject me, come to me. And, but the false teachers were standing up and they were offering something that they could not offer because they themselves didn't believe it and know it, what they were espousing. They didn't even, they, it wasn't even a part of their lives. And we'll deal with that in just a moment. But there is this offer where false teachers, they may dig and they may dig and they may proclaim and they do this, but they don't offer anything. Jesus talked about wells. Isaiah talked about wells. Abraham and Isaac were great well diggers. If you read about Abraham and Isaac, everywhere they went, they dug wells. And in the path in the wake of their lives... People drank from these wells and were satisfied. And that is what our lives need to be like. As you students go away to college, you need to be the kind of people who live passionately for God that in the wake of their life, people were able to be led to Jesus and drink of living water. Jesus, at one of the great festivals in John chapter 7, is the day that they poured all this water and it flowed through the temple area and just just overabundance of water. He stood up on the last days, this likely as this water was flowing in the temple, flowing down the steps, and he stood up and he said this, if anybody is thirsty, let him come to me and drink, and streams of living water will flow from within him. And church, I want to say to you and I today, God is inviting you and I to come and drink, and drink in such a way that we can give up our efforts that are just going to lead to more brokenness, and to come to him who is the fountain of living waters. So he says this, listen, the depth of their emptiness is this, is they proclaim to be a fountain in their teaching, but it can't satisfy. And as people follow them and listen to them, there is a destructive path that comes, and that's what he speaks of next. He says there's destructiveness to their influence. He speaks of myths. You know, mornings here in Texas where... It's foggy and there's, the windows are wet and you look outside and you're like, gosh, it's going to rain. And in about an hour, it's just all gone. A wind has come, the sun has come out and it's just blown it away or it's dissipated it. And he says, that's what false teachers are like. They give the appearance that they're speaking and they're teaching and their promise of all these things are going to satisfy you. And I want to remind you and I today this morning of something I think that we know, but I just want to remind us of this today. You know, Jesus, when he calls us to follow him, he's not called, watch this, listen, he's not calling you and I to follow him so that we can get more of the earth. Are y'all with me? He said this, listen, when you pray, you pray this way. Oh, Lord, can I have more things of the earth? He said, no, you pray this way. Your kingdom come. As it is in heaven, may it be here on earth. We don't want more of earth. We want more of his kingdom to be here. So this idea, notion that teachers out there to say this, give your money, give your time, God's going to give you more stuff, is anti-biblical. It's not there. There are people who came to Jesus and said, hey, I'll follow you. Jesus says, okay, okay, follow me. And one guy came one time. 
And he said, hey, I will follow you. And Jesus said, okay, you can follow me, but I want you to know this. Foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests to live in, but I, the Son of Man, I don't even have a pillow. I don't have a place to lay my head. So if you're going to follow me, I don't even have a home. You're not going to have a home. You're going to leave all of that because following me is not about things of this earth. It's about things of the kingdom of God. And it's in the things of the kingdom of God that you and I find satisfaction. And all of this All of this talk out there today, all that's on television right now as we sit in this room today, proclaiming, listen to my teaching, send your money to me, follow this, read this book, get this prayer cloth from me. It's hogwash. Because the Son of God who's the fountain of living waters is saying, you come to me, you come to me, don't listen to that, listen to me, I have what you need And these things are just driven, Peter says. They're just like a mist that's driven. The wind comes and it's blown away because there is no foundation that is there. Now, this word in the Greek, storms, that Peter mentions here, describes a tornado. I remember as a kid, I don't know if you remember these kids. Y'all remember if you've grown up in Texas? Y'all remember um, it would have been probably in the 70s when that uh, tornado came through Wichita Falls? And it just, just wreaked havoc through Wichita Falls. Uh, we used to go to Amarillo all the time because my grandparents lived there. And I remember that uh, we were at, I think, a Denny's in Wichita Falls on the way to Amarillo. And uh, the tornado sirens went off in Wichita Falls. And the waitresses in, in management in Denny's were living there when, uh, when the destruction of that tornado came through. And, boy, panic set in that we sitting there didn't understand because we had never lived through it. But some of them had lost their homes and family members in the destruction of that tornado. And Peter says, listen, let me tell you what false teaching is like. All of this promise of hope of riches in the future, if you'll follow God, of earth riches, it's, it's not true. It's not how God works. God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing that we can have, and he wants to pour more things out on us. But God's bargain with us is not the candy machine, Coke machine thing where we put in our time and our money and our effort and then he just shoots something out that we want. God has something for you and I that's much better than that and that is himself. Are y'all with me? The greatest thing God could give you and I is not a new car. It's not a better job. The greatest thing God could give you and I today is himself, and he's already done that. And all this people who are in the occupation that I am, who stand up and espouse anything other than Jesus is the answer to anything, do not listen to them. Do not listen to them. Because Jesus is the hope. The cross screams we couldn't dig our way to satisfy ourselves. So God had to come in such a unique way to die on the cross. And then he says this about these false teachers. There's a depth of emptiness to them. They dig and they offer and there's nothing satisfying. There's a destructive influence that just in their pathway. There are people who, who have fallen away because of that and the destructiveness. But there is a destiny that's coming to them. And he says this, for them the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved. They ruin others as they themselves are headed to a path of destruction. Let's look at the second thing. Look at verse 18. It says, For speaking loud boasts of folly, they entice by sensual passions of the flesh those who barely who are barely escaping from those who live in error. They are devoid of truth 
in their preaching. And boy, is this not true today. They boast. He uses the phrase loud folly. The word folly here means empty, vain, and futile. It describes a a moral insincerity while you're boasting about something with all of these extravagant words and extravagant uh, videos and extravagant um, architecture, whatever the case may be, extravagant marketing things and all of that. And all of the talk and all of the boasting and all of the grandeur and all of the marketing, if you followed it, will not satisfy. Because ultimately it doesn't lead to Jesus, it leads to the teacher who is a man who has fallen. And in case you don't know this, did y'all know that I'm fallen, right? Jerry Finch, do you know that I'm fallen? Jerry's like, amen to that. I want to be an example to you, but I want you to follow not me. I want you to follow Jesus. And any teacher who ever stands up and says, you follow me no matter what, boy, you better watch out because that's arrogance and pride and has nothing to do. You know, Jesus was so humble. Read the four Gospels. He was so humble when he was here. He would do this amazing thing and say, hey, don't go tell anybody about this. You know what preachers today do who do things? Go tell everybody about this. Let's get a brochure, infomercial, so that everybody know how great I am. I am not great today, but the God who lives in me is pretty amazing. And I'm, I'm not anything, you're not anything, without the power of who He is. And so, again, all of this speaking and this teaching with these great words and this boasting has nothing to do with the gospel. And so he says this, he says, he says not only do they speak loud boasts of folly, futileness, it doesn't lead to anything, but they have to bait, they entice. In the Greek word, they entice by sensual passions of the flesh. They appeal to people fleshly nature grounded to the things of this earth, not, not connected to the kingdom of God. And they, they call people to be grounded more here. Jesus called people to crucify themselves daily and carry their own cross. That has nothing to do with grounding your life here. It is finding life by losing yourself. And that is the call that Peter is saying, you watch out. And I believe that that what happens a lot of times with a lot of these false teachers today, they offer a message that doesn't ask people to change their lifestyle. You can come to Jesus and stay right where you are and just do whatever you're doing, and there's no cost. And so they boast, they bait, and they are after those, it says there in the last part of verse 18, who are barely escaping those who live in error. So there's two, op- two options here. Who are these barely escaping error? One option is these are new believers who aren't grounded in the faith, and these false teachers could, could easily twist the understanding of these new believers um, away from <coughs> right doctrine, good doctrine, good theology. Or I think we could bring it right to 2019. These are people who were connected to the church that wanted a better moral life, but they weren't willing to lead or give their lives and follow Jesus. So let me talk about this just for a moment. Because I think one of the things that's a reality about the church today is this, is you could be in this room Sunday after Sunday, you could go to life group, you could come to youth group, you could be in a college group, you could be in a small group, you could meet with some friends in a Bible study, 
you could be a part of everything that has to do with Christianity, and the reason that you're connected with it is because you want a better moral life, and you want to escape from the world, but it doesn't mean that you've ever come to Jesus. And I meet people like this a lot in the world, and I think, th- I think at many times our churches are full of people who look at the world and they go, man, the world is awful. I don't want to be like that. I Watch this. I grew up in the church. My parents took me to church. And now I'm married and I've got kids, so I guess we take our kids to church. And they come to church. They sing the songs, bring a Bible, and they've come to church for an ethic and a morality, but they've never come to Jesus. There's an attraction to Jesus because there's a, a nice people at church, friends, moral people, but they've never come to Jesus. They've never accepted Jesus. And I want to plead with you today. I, I want to have Peter's heart for us today as he's written to us. And I want to plead with us today Christianity is more than a feeling. And if you're attracted to Jesus, it's not enough. It's got you here, but you have to trust in Jesus. You have to repent of your sin and accept Jesus and what Jesus did on the cross for us. Because an ethic is not going to rescue you. Here's what happens if your Christianity is based on a feeling. Those of you who are married, are your feelings always overly excited about your spouse? No. And if we based our marriage on our feelings, we wouldn't be married part of the time. We would be on the path of of not being married. Our faith is the same way. And I think in our culture today, pastors offer feelings for people to experience and not calling people to a life of faith. And it's the life of faith that sustains us. A feeling today may help you Till about 3.45 this afternoon. But it's probably not going to sustain you to Tuesday when something happens. But I tell you, faith that's connected and grounded in the truth of God's word can sustain us for the rest of our lives. And so my heart for us, my heart for me, my heart for our kids, tomorrow night at Ignite, we talk about a, an ambassador and a new creation tomorrow night, and, and we're going to teach our kids this summer how to share their faith. At school, your kids are going to learn the three circles. So they can share their faith, they can draw their faith, they can talk about this is what it looks like to their friends who are eight, an eight-year-old sharing with an eight-year-old. This is what it looks like to know Jesus. So we want to be the kind of people who aren't boasting in such a way toward a feeling, but we are boasting in the glory of Jesus. Boasting in the glory of a God who loves imperfect people and calls us to a relationship with him look what he says in verse 19 they promise freedom but they themselves are slaves of corruption for whatever overcomes a person to that he is enslaved false teachers promise a freedom that they can't really offer so he says they promise freedom but what they believe is not really the gospel so it can't bring freedom because actually peter says they are slaves of corruption themselves this word slave is the most most servile role of being a slave in the world where you did some of the worst things and he says they are actually those who are proclaiming all this great freedom 
that if you'll come, you'll send your money, and you'll do this. If you'll buy my books, if you'll come to my conference, and it's all about the speaker. It's not about bringing people to the well and the fountain of Jesus. They are the kind of people who promise a freedom that they have not even experienced themselves because they are corrupted. Now, I have to deal with a question that I think is important. Can a true believer apostatize themselves? What apostasy means is this. It means to hold to a historic Christianity and a belief and to be in the midst of it, sing about it, come to church, bring a Bible, maybe sing, maybe even go on a mission trip, whatever the case may be. But at some point in time, turn your back on that. It's a whole other idea, a whole other teaching that has nothing to do with that. To turn your back on it, it's called apostasy. A person who does that is called an apostate. And so can a true Christian become an apostate? And I say no. I think Christians can sidetrack themselves. But I think the Bible teaches that true believers, because the Spirit is inside of them, will persevere and will finish. I think we ground this in Philippians 1.6. That he who began this good work in you will do what? He will bring it to what? Completion. So I don't think a true believer turns their back on this and never comes back again. I think that there's people in the church who once say, this is so awesome, who now say, this is not awesome, and they've turned their back to it. I think they were never believers in the first place. And they were attracted to church, attracted to Jesus, they were attracted to whatever, Christianity, for some kind of reason, but they never came to Jesus. And I believe that these false teachers, according to Peter here, boast false, bo- boast a lot of things that appeals to the flesh and the feelings, and they offer something that they do not possess themselves because they are slaves and entangle. And then he says this to them. It's a practical issue that whatever dominates you, that you're going to be enslaved to. So if our life is grounded in listening to You can get more of earth if you follow Jesus. You really don't have to give up anything. Hey, love Jesus, and he'll give you more stuff. And if you buy into that, eventually you'll see, well, there's something that just doesn't hold true to that. And whatever you and I give our lives to, we bow down to, we give our time, that overtakes us. When I was a young youth minister, I read a story about a Native American chief who had come to faith in Christ through a missionary taking the gospel to the West as America was growing to the West. And this chief had come to know Christ. The missionary left to go do some things, other missionary type stuff, but came back to this village. And when he walked into the village, he noticed something's not right in the village. There was an uneasiness to all the people that were there. Um... And so he asked somebody, wait, what's going on? Something doesn't seem to be right. Well, the chief has been in the teepee for a number of days now. It hasn't come out, and he doesn't want to talk to anybody. Um, People have tried to go in. He doesn't want to eat. I said, well, do you think he'll talk to me? Well, maybe. So the missionary goes inside, and the chief is sitting there, and it's dark in there. And he begins to talk to the chief and said, hey, chief, what's going on? He said, well, since I've come to faith, There's this big battle that's going on inside of me. There's this big dog here that's bad, and there's a big dog here, and they are fighting for me. And the missionary asked a really good question. 
he said, well, which dog is winning? And the chief said, whichever dog I feed the most. And I think that's what Peter is saying here. We are going to be overtaken in our life if we feed our flesh with the things of this world. But if we will feed on Jesus, guess who overtakes us? Jesus does. What does Jesus want to do? He wants to make you and I to be more like him. To allow us to not have the talons of the enemy inside of us and gripping us. You know, in John chapter 14, Jesus said something amazing. He's in the upper room. He's about to be arrested in a few hours. And he says to the apostles, he says to them, the ruler of this world has no claim on me. You know why Satan couldn't do anything with Jesus? Jesus didn't have a sinful nature. So Satan tried to grab Jesus, but there was nothing in Jesus that Satan could grab onto because holiness resided in Jesus. And there in John chapter 14, verse 30, Jesus says this, because I delight to do the will of the Father. And that's my passion. And so since the enemy couldn't cling and grit Jesus because there was a purity inside of him, there was not a sinful nature, you and I must cling to the one that Satan couldn't cling to. And we must stay connected to him. So don't listen to this stuff out there that proclaims that you can have your best life now. You will not ever have your best life now. Our best life is coming. This is the broken world. And even as good as Jesus is here, it's just brokenness. And I know Jesus to taste and be so good here. But there is coming a day when we're going to literally be in his presence. And we will see him. We can touch him. We can talk literally in a way that's different today that's not prayer. And that day is coming. And that's when your best day is. It's not now. And I'm sorry if that offends. It's just biblical. Our best day is coming, and it's going to be good. So there's a delusion of false freedom. And then look at verse 20. For it, after they have escaped the defilements of the world through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome. The last state has become worse for them than the first Here's what happens, and I've touched on it briefly, and so I'll just expand just a hair now. There are a lot of people who come to faith. It says there in the first part of 20, for they have escaped the defilements of the world through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. These are not people who came to faith. How did they escape the defilements of the world? Well, they came to the church, and they got a morality. They had a morality, and they were changed. But after a while, the pressure came on, and they drifted away from the faith, and they turned away from it, and they became this, tall te- this, this false teacher, teacher, or they embraced this false teaching and surrendered to it. And it's kind of like this. Lately, I've smelt better. And I didn't know why. But my wife has started using something different in the washing of our clothing. And so last week at my desk, I found myself doing this. Just smelling a little more. There's something new that she had put in the washing machine, and it smelled really good. Now, I don't know if I smelled good, but my shirt did, and I liked smelling it all day long. It just kind of wafted up from time to time into my nostrils. Let me tell you what happens 
and I hope it's not you today, but I love you enough, whether you're a member here or you're not a member here, I love you enough to tell you the truth today. And this is the truth. I think there are a lot of people in the church today that see the gospel as a deterrent from the evil of the world and a safe place to go and a detergent to wash the outside of their life. But they never allow Jesus to cleanse them of their sin. And the only way to do that is to come to the cross, to bow our hearts, to trust in Christ, to go beyond attraction, to go, beyond, to, go to a place of acceptance and belief, and to trust in Him. You see, Christianity is more than an ethic. It's more than a deterrent and a detergent. And those who practice this, Peter says, who turn away from this and they see it eventually over time, if all the gospel is is a deterrent and a detergent, then eventually you'll turn away when the pressure gets on. You just will. It's just, it's just inevitable because it's not authentic faith and so there's not a desire to finish and to, and to complete. And what happens is that Peter says this, those who are in and around the gospel and in church, and it might have been for decades, but they've never trusted Christ. They will turn their back on this and they will embrace something else and they will walk away and they will become entangled in their old life before they got involved in Christianity and church and all of that kind of stuff. And the new state that they're now in, walking away from where they were, is worse than the state before they even came to church. It's a worse entanglement, it says. Why? Well, look at the next verse. Look at, look at verse 21. For it would have been better for them to have never known the way of righteousness than after knowing it to turn back from the holy commandment that was delivered to them. And I know this to be true. I've been doing this for a long time in the West. I've done it in Europe, and I've done ministry here. It is easy in our 21st Western Christian culture to come to church without being a born-again Christian. You can do that. You could be sitting in here this morning and sing the songs, be on the greeter team. You could volunteer and nobody knows it. You know it maybe, or maybe you don't even know it. You fooled yourself. You have never trusted in Christ. You just have a morality and an ethic that is there, and there's a danger that comes, Peter says, to be exposed, the greater danger is to be exposed to the gospel and to know it and to be in around it and turn your back to it. You're now in a worse state you are you were before you even heard the gospel. It's worse now. Why? Because here's what the writer of Hebrews said, that when you turn your back on that, you are trampling on the blood of Jesus and you're putting your life into a place that was worse than before you even heard the name of Jesus. You know, Jesus was pretty strong on this point as well. Remember when he set the disciples out two by two? He said, if they come into the town, you come into the town and somebody accepts you and brings you into the house, you come in. But if they don't accept you, what did he say to them? You wipe the dust off your feet. And then Jesus said these words twice. He said, it is better, it's going to be better for Sodom. You know what happened in Sodom, right? It's going to be better for Sodom than for those who have been exposed to the gospel and have turned their back on it. It's going to be better for the inhabitants of Sodom. Then Jesus said this, and it was strong, and I think we have to read it. Listen to this, Matthew eleven twenty and following. Then he began to denounce the cities where most of his mighty works had been done because they did not repent. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it would be more bearable in the day of judgment for Tyre and Sidon than you. And you, Capernaum, you, will you be exalted to heaven? 
you will be brought down to Hades, for if the mighty works done in you had been done in Sodom, listen to what Jesus says, it would have remained until this day. You realize that? If Jesus had stepped into Sodom back in Genesis chapter 12 and done all the miracles that he had done, Jesus says this, and he doesn't, he doesn't just blow smoke with words. Jesus says Sodom would have repented, and you could go to Sodom today. You can't go to Sodom today. Jesus says, if, if I had done in their midst what I've done with you, they would have repented. And he says, but I tell you, it would be more, to- more tolerable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom than for you. We're almost done. There is a scripture for us to embrace. Hebrews 10.39, but we are not those who shrink back and are destroyed. Y'all with me? We're not those. We love the gospel. We love the word of God. We are not those who shrink back and are destroyed, but we are those of the faith who preserve their souls. So he says there's a great danger to be exposed to the gospel and to walk away from it. Lastly, the depravity within and without false teachers. Look at 22. He quotes Proverbs 26, 11. says, What the proverb says has happened to them. The dog returns to its own vomit, and the sow, after washing herself, returns to wallow in the mire. Now, in the first service, I had somebody come up to me before it started and said, I have, some, have a problem with your sermon last week. And I thought, okay. I was prepared for it and said, you said something about cats last week. And I said, yeah, and I'll stand by that. Cats aren't going to heaven. And I stand by it today, and I stand by it. They're not, God's not going to allow snotty animals into heaven, okay? He's not. It's a, heaven's about him, so he's not going to allow snotty things. So he said, you dog lovers. I said, wait a minute. Don't throw me in with all the dog lovers. I'm a dog tolerator. I've got two dogs, and I tolerate them. Okay, I'm not really a dog lover. They seem to love me. You know how that is, animals that are, if you're a dog, if you're a dog or cat tolerator, don't cats and dogs love you more than anybody else? Because they, I think God's like, oh, I'm going to bug you. And so anyway, so he uses them. But anyway, so <clears throat> we view our dogs differently. So when, when, when Solomon uses this and Peter uses it, uh, that a dog returns to its vomit, um, Back in the day, 2,000 years ago, dogs lived in the dump, and they were vicious, vile animals. You didn't have them as pets. Now, when a dog in the backyard goes, ugh, I don't like this inside of me, and they throw up in the backyard, they walk away. But then their nature says, oh, wow. And they go back over right to where the vomit is, and they go, wow, that looks good. (laughs) And they eat it all up and put it back inside. That's a sick illustration, but I think it's very clear the point, is it not? He says, listen, let me tell you about false teachers. They spew such anti-God, biblical, accurate theology. They're like a dog who has gotten rid of what was contaminated inside of them and they've spit it out and then they've gone back and swallowed it again. Now, some of you are in FFA. I have never been in FFA. I do like animals. But I've been to the county fair and the state fair and I've seen the pretty pigs. 
They've been bathed and they're shiny. But after the state fair and you take them back home, what does that shiny pig do? What does it do? It goes back to the mud and what? Just lays in and goes, oh, I don't want to be shiny. And so watch this. Jesus himself said this. Do not give dogs what is holy. And do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and they turn. And this is what they'll do. They will turn and attack you. And so there's a caution in the proclamation of the gospel to be careful where it's thrown. If it's thrown to people that just dishonor it and spit on it, don't do that. Because that's exactly what a dog and a pig will do. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. As we conclude, let me give you four quick things here. False teachers have nothing to offer, number one. Secondly, therefore stay grounded in Scripture and in line with historic Christianity. And if anybody teaches something outside of that, don't listen. Thirdly, avoid listening to them, even questioning teachers. Don't go to the blog posts. Don't read the magazines. Don't watch them TV. Don't download. Don't exercise to it. Listen to preaching. There's lots of good resources out there. Read stuff. But when you see stuff that consistently is outside of Orthodox Christianity, then step away from it. And lastly, we should examine our hearts. Are you in in the faith? Are you attracted to this or have you accepted Jesus? So let me share one last picture that I think Peter has in mind as we close. Jesus told a story one time about a demon that left a man. And the demon was inside the man. And the demon left the man. And the demon went away. And the demon went. This is Luke 11, 24 through 26. And the demon went away and went to arid places looking for a place to live. And got there and found, man, there's nobody here that I can inhabit. There's no place for me to live. And so the demon said, I'm going to go back to my old house, the house that I was in. And so the demon goes back, and Jesus said, when the demon gets back to the person it was living in, it it finds that the house, watch this, has been cleaned up and straightened up. Watch what happened. Demon left, find a place. The person was like, I'm going to straighten up my life, and so I'm going to get my morals right. My house is going to get in order. I'm going to get it right. But Jesus has not come into that person's life. And so when the demon comes back, Jesus says, not only does the demon come in, but the demon brings what? Seven other demons with it. And I think this is the danger in the church today. And I I plead with you this morning. I don't know all of you, but I know many of you. And I plead with you this morning. If all you have is a morality connected to Jesus, you do not have Jesus. And I want you to have Jesus I want you to come to him. And so it's not, Jesus isn't saying, I'm attractive. It's kind of like the bugs at nighttime are attracted to the light. I think, I think churches that proclaim the truth of the glory of Jesus attract bugs. Who like the light. But once you get there, you can't just stay as you were. You've got to come and surrender and trust 
what he did on the cross and quit digging away to find satisfaction. Broken people div, dig broken wells that lead to more broken lives. False pastors who teach false doctrine present a fountain of living water that is false, it is empty, and will only lead to people being more thirsty. And so I say to you and I today, let's come to Jesus, the fountain of living waters, and drink. Drink as much as you want to drink. You think he's going to go, well, that's enough. No, he's going to say, come. And I love what he says there. Streams of living water, rivers of water will flow. Not a river, rivers of living water will flow from within you. If you've not come to him today, I'm going to be standing at the back in a minute. And who cares what anybody in this room thinks? Who cares if you could get your life right with Jesus today and you could know that you were his? Isn't that worth everything? So I'm going to be back there. Mark is going to be back there. If you want to come talk to somebody. Martha, are you in here? Martha's going to be back there. If you're a woman, you want to talk to a woman, we'll be back there. And don't be embarrassed to come. I don't care if you've been. Let me tell you. Okay, I'm going to tell it. Okay. Let me just tell you this. I was a member of First Baptist Church Woodway, had been baptized twice in that church, and didn't become a believer until I was 17. I was what Peter was describing here. I was attracted to it. My parents made me go. But I didn't know him. But when I met him, boy, was I radically changed. Because for the first time, I tasted. I wasn't just sipping off my parents' faith. I tasted for myself that Jesus was good. Today, let today be that day. Let today be that day that you drink yourself. You drink yourself. Let's pray.